Welcome to the Faith Women Podcast. We're a community of women at Faith Baptist Church in Youngsville, North Carolina, that desires to honor the Word of God, to support our church, and to encourage each other as we know, grow, serve, and go. Through these episodes, we'll be introducing you to our ministry team, sharing truth from God's Word, and challenging you to grow in your love for the Lord and those He's called you to serve. We're so glad you've joined us. Let's dive in. It's a little humbling and a little scary to have the person that probably knows your disobedience most in this world other than the Lord be the person who introduces you to talk about obedience. You're good? All right. Um, right, So we're going to be talking about light in our moments by delighting So your days, like mine, are made up of moments. Got a lot of hard ones, probably. Some some sweet ones. Some ones that you... And probably... Push fast forward on, right? Like a with a screaming infant, not every moment is one of those that you want to cherish. Longer than being in a car with a crying baby, am I right? I'm going to go ahead and talk. Ooh, that sounds better. I don't know if it sounds better to you. It sounds better in my head. <clears throat> All right. Nothing to get the nerves out, like a few mic changes. All right. So, we were talking about moments. So I'd say that we can have the extreme, we can have the really hard moments, and we can have the really sweet moments, but most of life is probably lived in the mundane moments, right? Would you agree with that? Your work, your driving, um, your cooking, your cleaning, Um, maybe you have teenage kids and you are uh, shuffling them around to whatever social event they have next. Um, but moments are mostly mundane. I spend a lot of my moments doing laundry and piggy tails, but that won't last forever. See, I want to tell you tonight that Christ brings hope to all of our moments, the good, the bad, and the downright boring, okay? Because he offers in those moments fellowship with himself. And he tells us that if we will pursue him in obedience, that he will bring purpose to our moments. I love the verse that says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And most of that completing work happens in the quietness of your heart. As you choose to obey, when nobody's looking, when there's no fanfare, because those kinds of moments produce fruit. Our moments point to Christ, right? All of them collectively. He's the ultimate obedient suffering servant. He's the one that we look to. He's the one that momentarily gave up His freedom and glory to rescue us out of our sinful moment and give us eternal glory. Amen? 
that's good news, and that's why we can delight in obeying that God. That's the God. He didn't just save us and leave us here. He saved us and then equipped us to have peace in our moments. So, my husband and I fix up old houses. It sounds very HGTV, but it's, it's not that glamorous. The people on those shows have like 10 weeks of a construction timeline, and then they also don't have to live in the mess, right? They just swoop in, and Chip and Joanna are like, oh, congratulations on your fixer-upper, like they swung a hammer or something. And that's not the glamour that my moments are made up of. A lot of things are undone in our life, but I'm okay with undone as long as there's progress, right? I don't know if you're like me, but progress is key. Moving in a direction is key. And we moved into a house. This is our third house that we've done this to. See, it started completely out of necessity. We had to pick an old, ugly house because we had no money to pick a cute new house. And so we picked the old, ugly house, and we didn't want to live in the old, ugly house, so we tried to make it pretty. And that's where it came from. And then we realized people will pay you to do that for them. And so we did it again, and we picked an uglier house, and we did it again. And this one not, isn't not necessarily uglier, but it's older, and there's a lot more work that needed to be done. So we moved into this house about a year and a half ago, and when I moved in, the kitchen needed help. If you were in my house at that point, you know it wasn't horrible, but there was zero space to work. I probably had counter space as far as my wingspan would reach, and that was all the counters and cabinets I had in the whole kitchen. And there's four little kids in my house that constantly need to eat, and my husband eats massive amounts of food, that God bless him, he's wonderful, it's a privilege to feed him, but he, I need counter space, right? I need counter space. I need to be able to spread out. And so I think he knew before we even moved in that this probably wasn't going to work for us long term. So he devised a plan to take part of the kitchen that was going to be an eat-in space and add new cabinets. And the plan was we added about six feet of new cabinets, and we were going to come in right behind it was my impression. And we were going to come in and put in new beautiful quartz countertops to finish it all out. Okay, So if you can picture my kitchen, this part is relatively done. This part is all new cabinets with no counters on them. And it was probably, like I said, about six feet. And you could see into the top drawer of all these cabinets, okay? So it's, it's not an ideal situation. But Corey, being the problem solver he is, he went to his basement the day we moved in, and he said, I can fix this. And he sawed the top off of an old desk that was supposed to go to the dump. And he cut it to fit, and he set it on top of my beautiful new ca cabinets. And he was like, this is just temporary, honey. I'm like, okay, it's all right. We can do this. But what I realized is... We have this saying in our house, you don't pick the projects in an old house, the projects pick you. And over and over and over again, all the other projects took precedence over the counters. And, and they were needed, like he wasn't being a bum, they had to happen. All these things were coming up and my counters were not happening. And so I felt myself in the moment realizing that I had a choice. 
I had a choice to let something so simple as countertops make me bitter and angry and frustrated and take it out on everybody who lived in my house, or I could choose to obey. And what the Lord used to instruct my obedience was Philippians 4, 8. And if you know, you know. If you haven't memorized Philippians 4, 8, and you're a woman, I'm not sure what you're waiting for. <laughs> it says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think of those things. Very strict guidelines, right? And so I found myself in the evenings after I put all my little girls to bed and come back into the kitchen. I knew that was the time at which if I let my mind wander, it would wander towards sin. And you know, you know those areas of your life where if you let your mind go there, you'll sin. And so I started almost chanting Philippians 4.8. Okay, I'm going to think of what I can think of. And I realized as I was doing that, I also heard Elizabeth Elliot's words bouncing around in my head, just do the next right thing. And for me, sometimes I didn't know exactly what that looked like in the moment, and so I would just spend a little extra time cleaning my desktop countertop because I didn't really know what else to do. But what I realized is that that moment in the evening when I cleaned my kitchen quickly became my favorite moment. I loved it, and I didn't know why at first. I would go down into the kitchen and clean and pray and talk to the Lord and realize, like, oh, this is fun. I like it here. And what I was getting was not changed circumstances. My counters took 10 and a half months to go in, but they're in now, and they're beautiful, in case you were wondering. <laughs> 10 and a half months. What I didn't get was changed circumstances. What I got was Christ's presence. He was with me, and he was doing the work as I submitted to him in obedience to change me, not to change the kitchen. I was the one that was struggling with sin. And so what he told me in all that through his word was that there's hope for every moment because obedience to Christ, no matter how small or seemingly insignificant, always bears fruit, period. Obedience bears fruit. So we're going to dig into Luke 6 tonight. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, Luke 6, 43 through the end of the chapter. And I'll set it up for you while you're turning there. Obviously, if you have a red-letter Bible, you know this is Jesus talking, okay? This is one of his um, most powerful and famous sermons. Some people think that this is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Luke's account of what we see in Matthew 5 through 7, and that is very possible. It's also possible that Jesus just spoke in similar analogies. Crowds would follow him and he would have to almost spontaneously preach a sermon. And so that might be what we're seeing here is just uh, a similar analogy from him. But either way, what we know is his audience is made up of his 12 disciples, 
Um, some religious elites, we can assume, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who often followed him, trying to trip him up um, in the law. And also just people who are wrought with fascination and curiosity. So these are the people that are following, and then Jesus turns to them, and he gives this beautiful sermon. So what we're going to do is read it kind of in chunks as we go along. So what I'm going to do now is read to you 43 through 45, and then we'll stop and talk about that, and we'll read the next um, part of Scripture next, okay? So Luke 6, 43. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil produ person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For, out, for from his mouth speaks the overflow of the heart. All right, so it's probably familiar to a lot of you in here, this part of Scripture. <clears throat> What's happening is the Lord is talking to two different types of people, right? Those who produce good fruit and those who produce bad fruit, which we know is believers and unbelievers, and it's good to look at repeating words for emphasis when you're reading scripture. So what do you see repeated there a lot? Good, 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 evil, evil, evil. So those are our two categories that we're looking at. Think of it this way. Think of the heart as the tree in this analogy, okay? Think of your heart as the tree. And then your words and actions are the fruit coming out of that tree, and so I want to be clear before we really dig into this that Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says that it is by grace we are saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast, right? So what do we know? Our salvation is not based on what we do, okay? But Ephesians 2, 10 follows it up by saying, but we are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So there's an aspect there where absolutely works are involved. They're just not the basis for our uh, salvation in Christ. They're not our foundation. So I know what you're thinking. As we read this, we see a good tree produces good fruit. And you're thinking, like I was, like, okay, I know I'm a believer, I know that the Holy Spirit indwells me, and I'm a follower of a Christ, but I can produce some bad fruit. So what does that make me? Well, I want us to make sure that we understand that the difference is a good tree never delights in their bad fruit, right? We don't delight in bad fruit as a good tree. It's like the scripture says, we don't glory in our shame like unbelievers do. So mom said, I'm a, I'm a gardener, um, an amateur gardener, but I had this <clears throat> black beauty zucchini squash um, that grew last year. It's a beautiful variety. Loved it. It was huge. 
It was producing great zucchini for me. And every now and then, it would produce one where on the very end of it, it was just brown. And I knew that as soon as that little spot appeared, it was time for me as the good gardener to just prune it. I had to pluck it off and throw it because if I had let that fruit grow to maturity, the disease could have spread. And all of a sudden, the good plant is no longer a good plant. So it doesn't mean that we don't produce bad fruit occasionally. Everybody has sinned. That's why we needed Jesus. But we don't delight in it. We aren't known for it. We allow the good gardener to prune that so that we can go on producing good fruit. Now, what takes a bloom on any kind of fruit tree or plant in your garden, what takes a bloom and turns it into an actual fruit? It's not just maturity. There's, there's a, a pollination process that has to happen, right? We, the pollination process has to happen in order for it to actually turn to an edible fruit of some sort. And that pollination process is mostly invisible to us. We can see the birds buzzing and the butterflies and all that stuff, but a lot of it is actually cross-pollination, a lot of it is the wind. So think of us producing good fruit, our pollination process as women is what happens in our head and in our heart. Because if what we dwell on in our head and in our hearts are bad fruit, then that's exactly what we're going to produce. You see that part later in verse 45, an evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. And I, might, I know it this way because I memorized things in the NIV, but out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew Henry said it this way, what the mouth speaks, it ordinarily speaks with relish and delight. That's true, right? So what we know is that because we are in Christ, we have a new identity. Okay, that's number one. You have a new identity. You are a good tree that produces good fruit. Because what we rehearse in our heads will eventually come out of our mouth. Am I right? We shouldn't be surprised. Just like if the Lord prompts your heart to rehearse Philippians 4.8 or whatever your scripture is, we shouldn't be surprised that when we walk out of our kitchens, we produce good fruit to our children and to our husband. Bitterness doesn't flow out of that because what we have dwelt on is good. It's his words, and so it will produce good fruit. Now, you may also be like a tree in winter. I thought it was so interesting that Stephen talked about that very thing this morning as he preached. And a tree in winter doesn't necessarily produce fruit. But let the season do what it will to bring you to maturity. Because the believer's ultimate goal is always to be growing 
in maturity. And so we produce more fruit as our roots go down deeper. By the grace of God in Christ, we can now please him in obedience where we once could not. So we can delight because we have a new identity. Believers can't please God. Unbelievers, excuse me. Unbelievers cannot please God, but you are new. You're a good tree. And so there's a delighting that comes from knowing that we have a new identity in Christ. Here's the thing. Obedience is a delight to believers because obeying God's command was pre-fall. Think about it. There was obedience and a command to obey before there was ever sin. Eat from all these trees. Don't eat from this one. So obedience in and of itself, us having to heed the voice of God and submit to his authority is not bad. It's good. It was before the fall. It was his intent all along that as obedient children, we would want to obey the Father, right? So just this act of obeying, whatever it looks like for you, maybe it means going and swallowing your pride and apologizing to your husband when you treat him poorly. Maybe it means that you love and serve that difficult person in your life like you wouldn't ordinarily do if it wasn't for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Maybe your obedience looks nothing like mine. But as we obey, there's something interesting that happens. We get a glimpse of a pre-fall world. It doesn't mean that everything isn't tainted by sin, but we get a glimpse of Eden because there's peace between us and God. He's provided a way in Christ, but when we obey, we walk in the peace that he's provided. And we get a glimpse of Eden. And that's why it's a delight. And that's why it's beautiful, even when it's boring and mundane, even when it's in the kitchen, or even if it's folding laundry or trying to find that 100th mismatched sock. Where do all the socks go? It doesn't matter, mundane or not. Christ is honored in it, whatever yours looks like. Caring for an aging parent. Caring for an aging in-law. As we serve, we get a glimpse of Eden. We see what it was like when God originally designed us to hear and heed his voice. And so that's why it's a delight. It's not because of the moment itself, and it's not because of the task itself. It's because who you are serving is good. All right, number two. Our obedience is evidence that we have met with the master. Our obedience is evidence that we have met with the master. I'm going to read, let's see, I'm going to read 46 and 47 to you. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them. 
Okay, so then we're going to go in in a few minutes to the analogy he actually gives of somebody who hears and obeys. But we're going to stop right there and talk about that section, okay? <clears throat> so our obedience is evidence that we have met with the master. Now, I think it's on your note sheet, but there should be some Greek on your note sheet. Is that correct? All right, so this word Lord, Lord, Lord. It can be a couple of Greek words here, and thank you to Pastor John MacArthur and his lots and lots and lots of New Testament material. Um, Grace to you, ministries.org is super helpful. There's also a lot of other places where it's helpful. Fun fact, Jessica Lawler's family runs Grace to you Canada. Isn't that a fun fact? Her grandparents are John MacArthur are like this. Anyway, that was an aside. <clears throat> She's not even here. She would find that fun. Um, all right, so obedience is evidence that we, we've met with the master, and we see this word, Lord, Lord, show up. And the Greek word for it is kyrios, or despotes, okay? Kyrios, or despotes, and it means sovereign Lord and master, or despotes is absolute or ultimate authority, if you're an English nerd, that's where we get our Greek, um, or that's where we get our English word despot, okay? So this is the idea of an absolute authority. So this whole idea that Jesus is laying out, can you imagine he turns to the crowd and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then do not do what I say? This whole interchange is meant to be madness of thought. Why in the world would you call me sovereign Lord and master and then not do what I say? Doesn't a master do the will of his, or doesn't a servant do the will of his master? Yeah, we would all say that. That's what you're known for. And so this is, this is madness. You see, one of the first essential confessions of our faith is Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Exactly. So, again, we see that it's not our obedience to the Master that saves us, but these two things are inextricably linked. You cannot separate your obedience to the Master and your faith in the Master. Because a servant or a slave does the will of the Master. See, it's madness to think that the faith that saved you is not, only, not also the faith that then changes you. They are one and the same. Christ's power to rescue sinners is the same power that sanctifies the redeemed. Amen? That's the same power working in you. That salvation power is your sanctifying power. We hear Lord, Lord, repeated often in Scripture. And I heard one commentator say that that whole idea of Lord, Lord, this repeated here, almost draws our mind to a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. And if you're like me, you immediately, your mind is then drawn to what? 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, if you don't have love, you're like a 
clanging gong or clashing cymbal. And so what we get is this idea of Lord, 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 and it's kind of just floating out there into oblivion. See, the clanging gong and the clashing cymbal was actually used in pagan worship. This was something the pagans would do to try to summon their gods, little g, to act on their behalf. They would come out clashing cymbals and gongs, just trying to stir up the little gods, I guess, to act on their behalf. And so I think the picture that we see here is us calling him Lord, 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 but unwilling in our heart to do what he says is as powerless to save us as the pagans who are clanging their gongs and clashing their cymbals. Obedience and faith go together. When we see the word Lord, contextually we know there's also the word doulas, which is us in the scenario. He is kyrios, and we are doulas, which is the Greek word for slave or servant. This word appears 130 times in the New Testament, and it means slave. And I think we can get incredibly uncomfortable with this word because we have seen so much hurt and harm done from the master-slave relationship. And so for us to be identified willingly as a slave, it doesn't seem like a good gig right? But I think it's because we don't know our master all that well. See, our master is altogether good. Our master is love. Our master chased us down when we were rebels at heart, and he brought us back into the fold, and our master actually calls us daughters and gives us his inheritance. That's a good master. That's a master we can submit to. That's a master we can obey. He's good. Basically, what we're seeing here is Christ is warning this large group of people that faith without works is dead. James 2.18 says, But someone will say, You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works or deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. I say this because I love you, but we have to make sure that we know that there's going to be a lot of people that say, Lord, Lord, in the end. And this account in Matthew is clear that those who say, Lord, Lord, and have never followed up in obedience to the master, what will he say to them? I never knew you. I do not want that for you. And so we can delight in obedience because we know that every step of obedience, every step of submission to the master is assuring us of our salvation. Works do not save you, but you cannot serve a God that you're not willing to obey to, obey, okay? So 
Those two things cannot be separated. Romans 17, 16 through 19. I think I put some of these scriptures on the bottom of your page because I know I'm probably going faster than anybody can look it up, but you're welcome to go back and dig into these deeper because this is some really, really rich stuff. But Romans 6, 16 through 19 says, Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But thank God that though you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the pattern of the heart of the teachings to which you were handed over, and having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. Which is kind of interesting when you think about it. I think it's pretty clear what Christ is saying is that we were, we're slaves either way. Right? We're slaves to the flesh, or we're slaves to righteousness. So in our creation, we were created to serve, period. We weren't created to be autonomous. We think somehow we are because our society lets us believe that we have all this kind of freedom to do what we want to do. But we are slaves. And so we can either be slaves to sin, which Romans just says leads to death, or we can be slaves to righteousness, which leads to life. We were created to serve. Don't fool yourselves into thinking in your moment of weakness when we want to sin, and I'm guilty of this too, we, we try to fool ourselves into thinking that if I could just have a break and do what I want to do, then I'll feel better and I can come back and serve all these people. If I could just have a moment. But really, in that moment, what we know is that we're not serving ourselves. If we have an understanding that we're serving the flesh, which leads to death, or we're serving Christ, which leads to righteousness, it changes the way we obey, doesn't it? It, it gives a real good spin on that obedience thing, because I want life. I want righteousness, right? I don't want death. It feels good in the moment, but ultimately, patterns of sin lead us to death. Romans says, in Romans 14, 7, it says, none of us lives to ourself alone, and none of us dies to ourself alone. Our choice is clear. We can live to self and die, or we can live to Christ and live. And I don't know about you, but that's a pretty clear choice. And if I can remind myself in the moment, it, it definitely changes the way my heart is willing to obey. If we know that we're always intended to serve, it puts a different spin on things. We can delight in obedience to the master because it's evidence that we've met with him. You see, you can't obey something you actually, or someone you haven't actually had any contact or interaction with, can you? Obedience in and of itself has a connotation that there's a relationship 
there. Good works is different from obedience. Good works is filthy rags, but obedience comes out of the overflow of this meeting we've had with this person that we're now willing to obey at all costs. That's different. Obedience leads to life. And so your mundane moments change when you know that. Your mundane moments have hope and purpose. And even if life isn't going your way, you know that he is completing the good work that he started in you as you say yes to him. All right. Number three. I'm going to go ahead and read 48 and 49, but number three is because obedience, we can delight in obedience because obedience builds our house on the rock. Obedience builds our house on the rock. I'm going to read to the end of chapter six here. So remember, Jesus had just said, I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them. So this is the person we want to be, right? This is the obedient servant. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when the flood came and the rivers crashed against that house, it couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and it immediately collapsed, and the destruction of the house was great. It's very intense words, aren't they? So what we're seeing is an analogy of two different groups of people. But this time, we were pretty clear last time that it was believers and unbelievers, good fruit, bad fruit, good tree, evil tree. This time, it's a little more nuanced because it's, two sets of professing believers that Jesus is talking about here. We have the believers whose faith stands the test of time because they've followed in obedience. And we have the believers who didn't build their house on the rock, and so they won't withstand the storm. Have you ever had a house with a foundation issue? Shocker, but I have. <clears throat> I didn't, I didn't actually live in this one. This was one we fixed up. Um, but it, it's not good news. I don't know if you know that. But I'll, I'll give you my expert Joanna Gaines um, analysis on this. This is not good news to have a house with a foundation issue, okay? Houses with foundation issues eventually crumble. And it may take a while, but they will. You all seen those those farmhouses set up off the woods, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, it's leaning, and then the next year it's leaning even more, and then boom, it's gone. Okay, you can't just not fix a foundation issue. You don't put up shiplap and paint it agreeable gray and call it good. It doesn't work like that, right? Houses with foundation issues don't last. And so we had this house that we were working on, and it was a flip house, and it was a disaster. It was burned out, and everything needed to be redone in this house, everything. But nothing could be done on this house, which was so frustrating, until the foundation was fixed. 
We literally sat over there waiting on structural guys for over a month, knowing that we had a list of things to do to that house a mile long, but we couldn't do anything until the foundation was fixed. Because there's no sense in building up if what you're resting on will not hold you, right? It's a really difficult job to do structural and foundation work too. Oftentimes, even with all of our technology, it's still a guy with a shovel. And obedience is hard work. Obedience, listen, hear me on this. Obedience is not your foundation. It is not your foundation. What is your foundation here? In the scripture, it's very clear. The rock is your foundation. So obedience is not your foundation but it is the work that builds your life on the rock. Now, who's the rock? This is a good, good little uh, Sunday school answer. Come on now. Jesus. Jesus is the rock. Scripture references him as the rock hundreds of times. Y'all, I was trying to pick some of which to give you, and there are so many references to him being the rock. So there's a few on your page, but again, if you just want to do a word uh, study of this, this would be fantastic. Romans 9.33, as it is written, look, I am putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. Yet the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. It says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud. This is talking about the Israelites under the cloud in the wilderness. All passed through the sea. Again, we can make those connections there. And they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank from the same spiritual drink, and they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. That's what it says, and that's referencing Exodus 17.6, where Moses is at Horeb, and the people are thirsty, and they're whining and complaining again, and he strikes the rock, and so we get this picture of the rock being crushed to save all these people, right? So this is an imagery here of Christ being crushed. And what spills out of the rock is what keeps these people alive. Christ is the rock. Psalms 118.22, he's the stone the builders rejected. Don't miss that. He's either your solid rock foundation or he's your stumbling block as Romans 9.33 says, because there is no getting around Christ. You believe him, and you find life in him, or you are crushed by the weight of your sin, right? There's no getting around it. So if Christ is the solid rock on which we build our house, then we have a firm foundation that is secure for now and secure forever. This house isn't going anywhere when it's on the rock. And Jesus is 
Jesus is uh, talking here, sorry, I lost my place, but over in Luke, he's talking about these believers who do what he's told them to do in obedience, how they last. He's commending them. He's saying, this is what you want. And so this is our hope. This is our delight that we know that when we do the hard work of digging down deep to the stone foundation that is Christ, that we can weather the storm because storms are coming. And we know that. And we don't want a storm. We don't wish for a storm. But when our house is built on the rock, we don't fear storms. Because it's solid. And we know whether we live or die, like Romans says, we live or die to Christ. We must, I really want to be clear, obedience does not have the power to save you. But saving faith is always accompanied by obedience. And we can grow in it. It's not something that we're always immediately the moment of our salvation producing a bountiful crop of fruit. But as our roots go down, as our tree gets stronger, we can produce more and more. And as we look back, a year back, we can go, thank you, God, that I am not who I was. And you have, may have used dumb things like no kitchen counters or whatever it is in your life to sanctify me. You may have used those mundane moments, but you took me from here to here where I am producing more fruit and you get the glory. So why does obedience matter? And why do we delight in it? Because, friends, every yes to the prompting of the Holy Spirit does the difficult work of digging to the stone foundation. Every yes to him bears good fruit. Every yes builds our life on what lasts, on what weathers the storm. Every yes says, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And every yes gives us a glimpse of Eden, of what we will return to one day, of what we're waiting on. So it's important. There's no delighting in obedience if you think that you're having to fulfill the law. But we as believers know that who fulfilled the law on our behalf? Christ. He fulfilled the law. And so our obedience now is like little kids wanting to be like their mothers. It's just us wanting to obey our Father because he's good and because he did the work on our behalf and because he promises that our obedience in the mundane will change us and sustain us through the storms. So it's a delight to have a new identity. It's a delight to serve the master. And it's a delight to find our security on the sure foundation that is Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All 
other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are good and your word is rich. And we cannot plumb the depths of it, Lord. What you do in a moment would take us a lifetime to decipher. Thank you. Thank you for doing the work of obedience first, doing what we couldn't do. Thank you for rescuing sinners. Thank you for redeeming us. And then, Lord, thank you for not leaving us here. You equip us with your spirit. You equip us with your word. And you grow us. And that by your grace, Lord, faith women will look different in a year from now than we do right now, Lord. Help us to say yes to the mundane. Help us to say yes when nobody else is looking because we know that we're rooted in you and we know that what you're doing in us, you will be faithful to finish in us. God, thank you for the ability to obey now because of what Christ did on our behalf. You are a good God, and you deserve all the praise. We love you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Faith Women Podcast. We hope you were both encouraged and challenged by what you heard today. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss an episode. If you're in our area, we'd love to have you join us at Faith Baptist Church in Youngsville on a Sunday or at any of our special events. You can learn more about our ministry online at faithnc.org slash women. See you next month.